Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the collapse in housing investor demand and the fact that this collapse didn't create a spike in housing inventory like some people predicted. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah Wheeler, once again. Wow, we have so much to talk about. Okay, start us off. What is the most important thing to you right now? Well, First of all, Friday morning, we, you know, we're working off of some uh, visual data. Uh, Redfin gave out their share of investor purchases has collapsed year over year. Not shocking. Um, of course, last year, the government didn't want investors more, uh, a bigger part of the marketplace. So they raised the pricing uh, for investors. So it's not shocking at all. Next, of course, mortgage rates went from three to 7%. So we've had this big collapse in the data in investors buying. And the reason I'm bringing this up is the housing bubble boys, bless their hearts. I don't know how I could live without you guys. They, the whole premise, and, and this, there is some historical truth to this. Every bubble uh, is led by speculators. So when that happens, when you have a speculator basically take you know demand from a very small level to record breaking once that demand collapses well guess what you know you have major supply because oh wait this happened not that long ago we don't even have to go back to the dark ages or the tulip bubble or the railroad bubble whatever bubble we want to talk about we went back to the housing bubble in 2002 to 2005 we had a massive credit boom we had speculators there as well and the exotic loan credit leverage uh, uh, back then pushed demand up so high that once that demand broke, you did see massive excess supply. So here we are today, 2023 now, you know, I've dealt with the housing bubble boy since 2012. So this is, this is like, this is almost like my longest relationship. Um, but it's, uh, you know, COVID-19, I could forgive everyone for about two months, Right. Because nobody's going to be as crazy as I was on April 7th, 2020. Oh, we're going to recover. These are these models. Everyone follow it. We'll be okay in 2020. Okay, I, I get that. But after two months, you could you, you should have figured it out. 2021 was forbearance, right? Remember going on media in January? We all need to worry about home prices escalating. So then there was forbearance. Then it always falls back to now. And I think those who are listening to this podcast, who watch me on Twitter, who have to see what I have to deal with every day with the 30 million, <laughs> 6 million shadow inventory. But in this case, investors data did collapse year over year, just like home sales data. And what I did today is probably one of the more, I mean, probably one of the more useful charts in US economic history, just in relating to this period from 2020 to 2023. When we had a leverage credit housing boom, uh, in 2005, total inventory levels were 2.5 million. That credit boom peaked in 2005, and then sales collapsed. It took like two years to get to 2007 levels, of course, but it collapsed. During that period in time, we went from 2.5 million to a little bit above 4 million active listings. 
there you go. That was a housing bubble bursting, right? Credit debts were all deteriorating, exotic. You, you could do all these almost simple models to, to, to get to that point. Here, it was first COVID. It was then forbearance. And now investor demand did collapse, except now like t- total inventory levels in 2020 were 1.5 million before COVID started. But as of today, this morning, it's 970,000. I mean, do we have a group of people that have been historically wrong for 11 years now, went all in on COVID, doubled up on forbearance, and now the massive spike in supply, here it is. At 20, see, I truly believe this. There's a group of people who do not believe they're part of a cult. It's like war. In war, both people have to believe they're correct. But when you're part of a cult, you don't realize it. You think you're normal. So here it is. This is the, I've, I've been waiting for this investor data for like 2023, and we finally got it. So where is the 2 million active listings? Where's the 2.5? That's the historical range going back from 1982 to 2023. I'm not even asking for the 4 million. We're under a million again. And the demand's already at 2007 levels. I mean, this is a historical documented event that happened. And we believe that as long as people can read and visually see, they can understand why this was not a very valid premise. You know, I I understand your point that there are true believers in that and people who actually were grifting on that. But you and I both know lots of people who asked you every time you were at an event, a live event last year that I was at, if we asked a question from the audience, we always got a question that was like, what about the investors? What what about all the housing that's going to come online from investors? So I think it trickles down even from people who maybe, you know, have bad intent to people who are just like, oh, this, this could really happen. This could be a big deal. Well, this goes to the silver tsunami. Um, premise, you know, I probably the most question I've gotten over over let's say the last uh, eight to ten years was the silver tsunami. It was the premise of uh, every baby boomer starting from 2015 selling their homes to every millennial who couldn't afford them, and home prices had to come down 70. percent Why is everyone in housing on drugs? Why can't you people just be normal? Like how would how does how is this ever a thing where a certain time and the reason they used 2015 by the way it was because the first baby boomer turned 62 in 2008 so the seven year period was the starting process of when you would downsize that 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 kind of makes sense right if you believed in that but it's 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 2023 and we're talking about 26 to 32 million homes coming on the market at that period of time and we're at 970 thousand so it's just it's just listen. Let the data lead you, right? I mean, my inventory call is going to be wrong this year. You know, at last June, I said, listen, if, if housing demand stays soft, what could occur is that we just grow one year. And then if it's weaker next year, we just have the traditional season volume rise and we can get to 1.52 million. That's all I'm talking about. Like just 2019, just break over 1.52 million. I got people telling me 7, 8, 30. I, I, now, people who follow me know I literally snapshot at the stock trader that, you know, and even some of the housing crash people were like, dude, you're like making, you're the reason why people think Twitter's crazy, you know? So here it is. The investor demand is down, of course. The total home sales down and inventory is not that far off all-time lows. Why? Because credit channels, I try to gather everyone over the last eight to nine years. Credit channels are different. And one of the reasons why I think 
Wall Street historically, or their economists or their firm economists that have been recessionary people from 2010 to 2023, remember, there was never a valid recession outside of COVID, which was a global pandemic, and that lasted six weeks. A lot of recession calls is based on the premise that nominal credit debt growing is a negative, that every American is... You see this all the time from stock trade. You, Sarah, do you get a feeling that I'm not a big fan of Wall Street? You know, every once in a while that just I comes mean, you, through. You, I don't you, know. Can you do you get a vibe how bad I want these people on a live debate? I mean, I've I've watched this for so long, right? And I'm just sitting here and, you know, even for somebody like myself that was on recession watch as of August 5th, I said, listen, if the growth rate of inflation falls, bond yields falls, things should get better. But do not use the recession until jobless claims break. It's worked that way every time. So I just think the the grifting of money and economics is just too too good to pass up. And lying to people is better than telling them the truth. Some of us have taken a stand on the other side. This is why I love to talk about economics on a historical sense. This is why I love to take people on live debates. You get me people on a live debate. I will meticulously break down their models and take their forecasts and go. And the problem is that a lot of people figured out what I would do and never just like back. I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. So you know, this goes we, we're the, always looking. Listen, if yeah. someone wants to come on live. It's and like Mohammed Omar. That was great. I loved it. Yep. He came and said 40% home price crash, no distressed sales because the trend lines, right? Wall Street people are really interested. They just work off trend lines. They don't, they, it's not really the backdrop of the story. It's just technical levels, right? That's the thing. So um, it's just, here it is. We got the data, the data that I've been waiting for for like 16 months now. And not only did inventory not spike up, we're literally getting closer to all-time lows again because credit channels are different. And you almost have to talk to people like in a primal sense. If you are an educated human being, a father, do you look at your son and daughter? You said, kids, we have to sell because some guy on YouTube keeps on saying that housing inventory is exploding and we're poor. Dad, you have a job. Dad, what's wrong with you? Why is mom so much tougher than you? This is how I have to talk to people. So hopefully to shake them up to realize you're not as soft as you think you are. People might make you feel, but no, you're an educated person. You have a job. You don't, you rush to sell. And here we are again, right? Credit channels are different. The one time in history where this did not work was when credit channels broke, right? The 2006 to 2011 period. This is why for seven, eight years, I kept on showing the charts. We got the updated New York Fed data, right? On consumer credit, uh, foreclosures, bankruptcies, everything. And we uh, incorporated that in our next talking point, the home builders. And you can see why the home builders got terribly lucky this time around. Yes. So that was, uh, you know, you wrote that article this week about the fact that they got so lucky because if they hadn't had that backlog from really the supply chain issues that we had in COVID and they didn't have those still in the, in the pipeline, we would be even less inventory than we are now. Yeah, it's... It- it's such a unique uh, thing with with COVID nineteen with 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 housing data. We basically have an infrastructure program and a jobs program right now because of the COVID nineteen delays, not because the government set it up or anything. We literally have this, and hopefully those charts and and I think the confusion with a lot of Wall Street people that said, "Well, housing is the leading 
economic. We should be in a recession last year. Look at housing completion. So on these on these reports, I show housing permits falling. We all know that. Housing starts falling. We all know that's a big talking point. Housing permits and starts to fall. But housing completions is still rising slowly, terribly so. Like my tortoise, Solomon, Solomon Grundy, she could like outrun the, the builders. Like she would smoke every one of them building homes. Um, but that's not normal. So we are in a sense building homes, finishing them and giving them to people where in the past housing completions would start falling with housing starts and permits. So this is the lagging effect of COVID. But one of the, the point of the, the article was, man, could, it, the builders would not have taken these homes on or home buyers would not have taken these homes on if they knew mortgage rates would go from three to 7%, right? So there's a lot of cancellation. Now, what the builders are doing are like, they're cutting prices, they're paying down rates and it's work for them here because they're not really working from very, uh, uh, high levels. Uh, that's that's why one of the talking points I, I try to tell Wall Street, look, like I have to explain why the builder stocks are doing well. So the best way I could do it is we had 1.4 million new homes at the peak of 2005. Today, we're like at 600,000. So we're not working from very high levels. So when rates fall, the builders can move product. Now, we're going to see that in the new home sales report kick in either this month or next month. And that explains why maybe their stocks have rallied because rates have come lower. If rates didn't go lower, we'd have a whole different conversation, but it did. And now rates are going back up higher again. So the so again, forward-looking data, we want to look at things that could slow or change the marketplace. October 27th, the case for lower mortgage rates we got here. That whole line in the sand on the 10-year yield, Gandalf, right? I said, this is going to be hard to break through this. And we tried it one, two, three, couldn't do it. And we reverse that up, and we're still in that 2023 forecast range as the economic data has come in a little bit better uh, than people anticipated uh, for 2023. Okay, exactly. So you brought up 10-year yields, right? So this has been a crazy couple of days for yields, and we were thinking, are, is it gonna is it gonna breach your line? Yeah. So we're right now kind of in the middle between. You know, the 3.42 to four and a quarter, we're kind of at 3.84. And we just, the, the, I'm, I'm saying this as Friday morning, we've had some really wild intraday action. Uh, 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 the 10 year old got as high as 3.92. Before I, ca- I came on this uh, um, uh, podcast, it was actually down to 3.83. You can have these really wild days at these key technical levels because think about it all this money, the bond market is the king. There's a lot of money moving around and they want to get these technical levels right because if they want to reverse, you're, hey, we're going to start buying now, bond yields go down. If they That line in the sand was designed, hey, listen, we don't break this, things could reverse because that's how it works, right? They People, do, they do not wait. They are here to make money so they can short the bond market, buy the bond market so you get these uh, uh, fights at these periods. So uh, it, it, so far, everything kind of looks normal. The data's, the data's been good, so the bond yields are, are holding in that range, but... Uh, It'll be interesting next week to see. And I think the one counter against my four and a quarter percent top end range is that January and February economic data were stronger than than people thought. So um, bond yields just went reverse on that. They're still low historically. But if the data starts to cool down, again, the bond market is not old and slow, right? They will get ahead of the Federal Reserve. Uh, so by the time the Federal Reserve starts to do one of its... Uh, Fed meetings, when jobless claims have broken, the bond market's already well ahead of them just because it's a more efficient, it's not 15 people from 
like seven different cities waiting to have a meeting, right? Money never sleeps, right? So it's a much more fluid uh, uh, process than waiting for people to talk. Our listeners really like that line from um, the last podcast that we had where you're like, the bond market is not old and slow. I've seen that on social now. People have shared it out with your uh, you know, little clip there. So apparently that that hit a nerve with people. Yeah, I, 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 I market people understand what I'm talking about. Like by the time you wake up in the morning and jobless claims are getting weaker, the Federal Reserve is sitting there thinking about what should we do? The bond market's already ahead of them. So uh, that's why I always tell people, uh, when I created that recession model and I said, listen, nothing is going into recession until jobless claims break, that 323,000 level historically is very low, right? That's not a very, that's not a very um, high number. In fact, in, in most expansions, that's the case. But when you're working from a low level, when it increases, it's the rate of change. If it breaks above that level, considering where the unemployment rate is, job opening is, the how the U.S. economy uh, labor market has shifted. It's also not even gotten close to getting there as well as as expected. Labor markets are different. That's why when I, when I talk about you know in the COVID nineteen recovery, hey, listen, job openings are going to get to ten million, right? No, it's impossible. We're, yeah, it, it happened. It's been here for a while. Job openings, labor markets. It's going to get. It's harder to get to that three twenty three k level than people think. So if it does happen, trust me, the bond yields are going to be well well ahead of the Fed, and the Fed is going to be talking, you know, behind the curve because that's what they do. So when that happens, whether it's this year or next year or even in twenty twenty five, when it happens, you're going to see the ten year yield get ahead of the Fed, and the Fed's going to be like not sure what to do yet. See, COVID nineteen actually they had to be fast because it was a global pandemic. It's like. Oh boy, everything is going to stop here. So we have to do whatever we can to, you know, prevent a major deflationary collapse. Uh, here, it's it's confusing to them to a degree because they have, you know, the the growth rate of inflation is higher than what they uh, uh, want. And if the labor market breaks, they've already said, well, we don't we don't know if we want to even cut rates during a recession. Or trust me, the bond market doesn't give a about you people. They're just go, okay, we're, we're reversing. That'll be the next stage of the discussion. We're just not there yet. Jobless claims fell down a little bit. We're still under 200,000. Um, but when it happens, it'll happen. It'll be more obvious to everyone. And then we'll take it from there. And just remember in, in last year, when the 10 year yield got down to two two fifty, uh, jobless claims had been rising during that period. The economic data was getting weaker. A lot of people were talking about recessions then. So the bond market in a sense was playing with the market data where the Fed just said, no, 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 we're not going, we're not going to cut. And the economic data got better. Bond yields uh, uh, rose with that. If the economic data was getting worse and the t- and people were losing jobs, we'd have a whole different conversation today, but not the case. Okay. So translate all of that bond talk. Very interesting. Yes. Okay. But what if I want to know about mortgage rates and I need a simplified version of what does that mean to me, mortgage rates today, Friday, next week when this airs? Well, right now we're at six point eight percent. If that if that level holds, then short term that might be the uh, short term top for a little bit. Uh, rates might get a little bit better uh, next week, but uh, uh, right if it does break, I'm, I'm that, that's why I put that four and a quarter and seven point two five percent as the as the high level range for twenty twenty two. So we're kind of just in between here. We're just doing it at, th- at this point. We're fighting at this level, uh, so. Rates already made a huge move. We went from 5.99% to 6.0. So it's almost a 1% move already. 
Uh, and you see how fast things can move in this marketplace, right? So these key technical levels in the tenure, remember, I, 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 I've told people this from the start, I'm not a mortgage-backed security guy. I, I, I'm not even a mortgage rate guy. I'm just a 10-year yield guy. And Sarah Wheeler, what is that 10-year yield and that mortgage rate? They have had a lovely relationship. They have been slow dancing since 1971, and they never drift apart. Think of all the drama that we had in the 70s, 80s, 90s. They still dance together. Why? Because they're in love with each other, and they don't let anything else bother them. The spreads could get wide and narrow, but that's what it is. It's a good relationship. That's why I'm a, I'm a bond market guy first, not a mortgage rate guy. Very interesting. Well, I, 6.8, ugh. Nobody in our industry is excited about 6.8. Nobody is, but this is the reality of our world. You know, it's 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 the, one of the interesting things I'm, I'm telling everybody. I said, everybody should be lucky if, you're, were, if your forecast was really bearish that mortgage rates didn't break under 5.875%, which 5.875% is a key line to all my work going back to 2013, 2019, that highlighted it even in 2023 forecasts. If mortgage rates had broken under 5.875 and had head lower, right, wasn't part of what I was thinking. But if it did, everyone would have to change their tune because the market was already getting better from seven and a quarter to 5.99. And you know, we're we don't have that much activity. So every the narrative would have completely changed. Everybody would have revised their 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 housing takes. So I say this now for the future, right? Whether it's this year, next year, um, Mortgage rates matter to the upper downside because we have no more credit expansion, right? So, so when we're working from lower levels of sales, realize that that it doesn't take much to move the market. Um, and kind of in that in that CNBC uh, uh, interview on, I did this week was kind of don't overread it. It's just that we're in a seasonal low time in inventory. So if demand picks up, people say it's a hot housing market because there's ten people, you know. That's more a function of supply being low than record-breaking demand. And this is why, for a long time, I draw those black lines. In those purchase applications, I'll show you what record-breaking demand looks like. It looked like 2002 to 2005. But here, you know, no. Can't, no, can't, here, can't that time. here it's that inventory chart that is so sad that it's just like down, 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 down. And you're like, yep. you can't, you're like, hey, if you need your glasses to find what's on that, that bottom. Oh, yeah. I, I, I tell people all, all that hype and talk, all that oh, inventory is going to skyrocket in. It's performance anxiety. That's what happens when the people talk so much and you know, they have no game. This is what happens when they're actually at, when you tell them, okay, here we go. Here it goes. Here it goes. No. This is the problem, though, with the with the mortgage market. If you're in uh, real estate mortgage, uh, it's the volatility. It's the sharp change from one thing to another. Like you, you just said, you know, a whole point. It used to it used to be a really big deal to go a whole point up or down. Um, yeah, for a short I, amount I, of time. you know, the, yeah, the, the 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 taper event back in 2013 when mortgage rates went from three and a half to four and a half percent. All that was all hell broke loose. You know, even yes. the Fed said, "Oh my God, wait a second, that's too much volatility." This is true, and this is the the post twenty twenty world. I mean, things just move so fast, um, uh, and the the stability we had with rates just hovering around six percent. You know, everybody could choose, and everybody could decide. Okay, you know, the problem I I see with rates moving higher so fast is that people go, "Oh God, I'm not listing my home. I don't want to." You know, the the other aspect is that we're not working from three to seven percent. We're working now from six to seven. So 
the range is much less now. There's a little bit more consistency, but uh, there are some people who just got who are just so frustrated about how fast things move. And we're going into the spring season, and now we we track the inventory data, the weekly inventory, which traditionally used to just bottom out in January. Things are bottoming out a little bit later. Uh, in the year. But uh, again, it, this is why we do weekly data, right? You can't just, I mean, I do it daily. I do it like 11 o'clock at night or three in the morning, whatever. But, you know, weekly data gives people some kind of idea of what to, and it's crazy. This is a crazy thing. There's a whole world, the whole world of economics is crazy. Currencies, commodities, everything, you know, so I know people on Twitter see me, I always put commodity charts and currency charts, you know, it's just this wild, wild word, and we're trying to make sense of it uh, 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 in a very short time frame. And during global pandemics, things just don't. It used to be so easy in the previous expansion. It used to be so easy. No, like I, there was a week. It was the weakest housing recovery, the slowest. I mean, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't too much uh, uh, craziness. Here is just all hell is broke loose, right? Well, I mean, I joined Housing Wire in 2013, and you know, the economic part of that, of course, there was a lot going. Uh, you know, coming. You know, we had we had all that those vacant homes. We had all those foreclosures people were working through. There was a lot of things there, but from an economic standpoint, from like just economic news, like what you talk about now, there is no way we would have a weekly tracker back then. It, it wouldn't move. Well, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It, it, things move so slowly back then, and it's funny. You know, back then when I, when I first started writing about housing, my whole premise is we're going to have the weakest housing recovery ever from 2008 to 2019. Household formation is too low. We need to do a lot of debt deleveraging. Um, uh, growth is going to be slow uh, the whole time. If people see my job forecast, job growth was going to be very slow. And as time goes up, it goes lower and lower population growth. It said years 2020 to 2024 will be different. Okay. I did not mean this kind of crazy different. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, somebody, somebody caught on to that uh, I, on a home ownership rate article I wrote in 2019 saying that, you know, from 2008 to 2019, this is different. It's going to be different next year. And people say, are you calling for a recession? No, I said, the, it's just the, just the demographics are going to be a little bit better in this period than this. So economics is demographics, right? So uh, household formation areas, you get a little bit better demand. Um, there was some, some headline that said, oh, of course, it's a baby boomer complaining. It's these damn millennials and Gen Z that's creating this inflation. If it wasn't for that, yeah, if they were all dead of course, you'd have less demand. Gee, God, man, look, so, come on, right? Blaming them, right? So, uh, so look at what you're saying is you're the one who called all of this chaos on by by saying those things in 2019. Okay, we can blame you now. We know. No, no, no. I'm not taking the blame for COVID, right? I'm I'm taking the I I what what I going back to January and February of 2020, housing authentically broke out. To this day, if I had to start every economic discussion, I would say housing broke out in 2020, January and February data, before COVID-19 hit us. So that looks normal, but it wasn't this. This is chaos. This is a global pandemic. This is you know uh, supply shortages. We have war now. This stuff, nobody nobody forecasts global pandemics or, or, or even wars years ago. It's just that the household formation, the demographics were going to be better in 2020 to 2024 than what we saw from 2008 to 2019. And let me tell you, that was a long tail call. I mean, I was like, we're not going to get 1.5 million housing starts until 2020 to 2024, or purchase application data will never hit 300 until 2020. You know, that's like eight, nine years waiting for something, <laughs> you know, and then here it is. I'm a like, lot of okay, patience. Housing broke out. Here we go. Boy, global pandemic. <laughs> 
all right, got to adjust to it. You know, and the fact that um, you bring up baby boomers complaining about millennials or Gen Z, thank God we have them. I mean, thank goodness we have some younger people coming onto the scene because that saves us from an economic standpoint, housing standpoint. We need those young people. Well, yeah, it's there. There are some people in this world. I mean, this would be a whole different discussion that, you know, they (laughs) they would say that, you know, if, if people weren't alive, housing costs wouldn't be so much, you know. It's it's my joking Logan's Run theory that if we just killed everybody at 33, we you know <laughs> we would just have and we built more homes, we wouldn't have a housing fully because once they're die, they wouldn't go with their homes. That's that's what I call the Thanos defeatist. You know, uh, I mean the most crankiest old men I've always said always blame people for their other people for their problems, and it's just like if these young kids, if these snooping kids, wouldn't be so you know. <laughs> Uh, it's just right. like, come on, man. It's just like, this is why stock traders and old men who just always complain, these young people are buying homes, they're having sex, they're having kids. If it wasn't for them, inflation wouldn't. Re- it's a global pandemic. Look at Japan. Japan has inflation. Japan couldn't create inflation if their life depended on it. But right. you know, some of this stuff is not necessarily just demand driven. You have some supply uh, uh, I mean, look at cars. We still haven't produced enough cars. The the used car index is rising again because the 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 car lots need to buy cars, and they you know they their used cars is the only place where they could get some inventory. So there's just there's a lot of dynamics here, and and be careful on blaming you know young people for just being alive, right? Let that let that one go. Absolutely. Well, some programming notes here. So uh, Monday is President's Day. This is going to be coming out on Monday. Uh, we are, you know, not not doing a lot of news, but we will still have the housing market tracker come out on Monday because Logan never sleeps. So I appreciate that. Doesn't matter. I, I believe you created the first housing market tracker on Christmas Day. Pretty sure you sent it over to me on Christmas Day evening. Yeah, I wasn't going to. We were going to. We were going to wait till Alto's research came in and then officially <laughs> could do it. And I was like, I'm not waiting man i'm going on it it's like you give me access to this i'm 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 like it's christmas day so i already in a sense it's funny i actually technically did like a tracker thing on on uh before the writing an article i mean i do this every day so it's not this is just presentation on an article format but as soon as uh altos research and housing wire is like okay game's on but you're all you're taking too long I'm going to go ahead and start this right now. <laughs> yes, you did. That was great. So I would just uh, tell our listeners, go find the housing market tracker on housing housingwire.com. And Logan, thanks so much for keeping us updated, whether it's by podcast or article. We so appreciate you. Yes. Thank you so much, everyone. Just remember, inventory was not being held up by investors. Investors, home sales crash. We have it on data now, and we are still below under a million. Inventory can grow. It just needs time. And people who have very good cash flows don't give that up to do something detrimental to their own financial life. That's just, just you, somehow you have to move on from this one too. <laughs> we will move on. Thank you, Logan. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. 
Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.